we're going to progress here today into our theme dealing with confidence specifically for our time together uh, from Hebrews chapter 10. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, we're going to read just about four verses, although we'll address uh, the chapter before and after and even other verses within that chapter. Um, but we're going to talk about a title uh, today, I thought rather, called Don't Throw It Away. Don't throw it away from Hebrews chapter 10. So as we get started here, just kind of interact with me a little bit if you would. Have you ever thrown something away that was valuable? Can you remember, like somebody tell me, what's something valuable? Maybe it was accidental. Maybe you're not real sure where it's at, but in your mind you probably think it probably got thrown away. Is there something you can remember? The TV remote. That sounds true probably for most of us, right? A child's shoe and Christmas wrappings. Huh? You think you did or you know you did? Oh. <laughs> yes. A retainer. Yeah. Lots of high school students have had to go dig through trash cans because mom said, go get your retainer. Anybody else? Yeah. Lots of potato peelers. Yeah, I know I've thrown silverware away. You scrape a plate or something, you just throw it in. It's like, where'd that go? Anything else? Oh, a car title. Yeah, that's pretty valuable. <laughs> yes, ma'am. A what? Homework. That always works the day after, right? Teacher, I threw away my homework accidentally. Well, today we're going to talk through some things here as it relates to not throwing something away. But we tend to be people that throw away things of great value. So, again, here, work with me. Let's talk about food for a minute. How much food do you think is wasted globally? How much food do you think is wasted globally? What would be your guess? In tons. Sir? The same in your house. The same in your house. A year. How many tons annually are thrown away, estimation here, globally? All right, so the guess, uh, according to our uh, Department of Agriculture, is 1.3 billion tons globally. 1.3 billion tons of food is, is wasted, is thrown away. It said, uh, they also said in the U.S. alone... We throw away $160 million worth of food. That's annually as well. $160 million, or a billion rather, $160 billion worth of food every year. And they also said about a third of our world's food source is wasted every year. Uh, simply because we don't have the means to freeze it or refrigerate it, to transport it. So a lot of these countries that actually produce fruit, uh, food... If it's not being sold, it just rots out on the tree or in the field, and it's just wasted. Uh, so would we say food is valuable? Yeah, I would say that we would all agree with that, right? So 1.3 billion tons globally, 160 billion in this country alone, uh, one-third of our food source globally as well is, uh, is wasted per year. Uh, here's another question for you. How much money? How much money do you think is thrown away annually in this country? 
And I don't mean like, you know, I, I shouldn't have bought that. I wasted money on that shirt or on, you know, that food or whatever. It's just literally thrown in the trash. Anybody have a guess? So this is just coins, all right? Currency is a little bit difficult. But uh, the Covanta or Covanta Holding Group, CVA, they are a recycling and waste management company. Uh, their estimate is $62 million a year is thrown in the trash of coins. All right? It's a lot of money. Make you think about go digging in the dumpster. For some people it does. Uh, there's a man by the name of Rick Snyder. Rick lives in Bradenton, Florida. And every morning he walks about four hours around his town. And he likes cats. And so he'll walk around and feed stray cats. Well, while he's walking, he passes a lot of car washes. And so he always goes into the car washes. You know where the little coin slots are? And he fills in all those to see if he can get money out. He said in 10 years, 10 years he collected $21,500 out of the coin slots in a car wash. So we throw money away, don't we? Uh, and he in turn just invested it right back in his community. He donated it to a local organization that takes care of cats, trying to solve part of their problem there with cats. <laughs> so he, he returned that all back in. Uh, that's just crazy to me, though. I mean, that's a lot of money. I don't know about you, but I scrape those things, like, clean. I probably have some of the paint in my fingernails. I'm not leaving a quarter or a dime behind. Uh, there's another guy, though, who's thrown away some stuff. His name is Matt Malone. Matt lives in Austin, Texas. He's an IT consultant by day. But by night, you may have heard of him before, he is a dumpster diver. And what Matt does is he goes behind these department stores, furniture stores, clothing stores, uh, technology stores, and at nighttime, he digs through their dumpsters. And he's found all kinds of stuff. So he'll put it in his vehicle, he'll go clean it up, and some of you may have it in your home, right? He sells it on eBay. And that's where he makes his living. He said, if, I, if that's all I did, I would make about $250,000 a year digging trash out of dumpsters. What's that tell us? We're in the wrong business, yeah. Tells us we throw away a lot of stuff that's valuable, right? One of his uh, most prominent finds, there was a, uh, an automotive shop that went out of business. And he said they threw, they just pushed everything out of the garages filled up the dumpster and everything else they surround the dumpster with. There was hydraulic lifts, there were tools, there were compressors, there was workbenches, and he hauled all that stuff home and cleaned it up and sold it, right? So I would say that that would really have to bump your 250 up quite a bit there uh, if you could clean out an, uh, an auto mechanic shop. But all we're really trying to say here is we tend to be people who throw stuff away a lot of times without thinking about it. Uh, have you walked past the penny on the ground recently? thought, you know what, it's just not worth picking it up. It's not on heads anyway, right? If I pick it up on tails, I'm just going to get cursed or something bad's going to happen to me. Or a nickel or a quarter, it's not mine. Maybe it's just, no, I really don't care. It's not going to change my life. Well, we're learning here that there are people whose lives have been changed by things that are valuable that we throw away. And so the whole call today is from the author of Hebrews, don't throw it away. And we're not talking about food. We're not talking about money. Uh, today we're talking about our confidence, our confidence in God. All right, so Hebrews 10, let's go that direction here. And you'll find uh, in verse 32 there, we're going to start addressing this idea of our, of our confidence. But initially, Hebrews 10, you've got the context is 
Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. And so up before that point, everything else was just kind of the uh, opening act, preparing for the feature presentation. So that's where you'll find that the blood of goats and bulls and lambs couldn't take away sin. It just was going to point to the one who was the lamb, the lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. And so after Jesus has come, now there's no, there's no reason to offer sacrifices anymore. His sacrifice was once for all time. Uh, so that's going to lead us then into the idea of why we can have confidence in God. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. It says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those who imprisoned, with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And so do not throw away your confidence for it will be richly rewarded. And so that's our context here today. Uh, do not throw away your confidence. So the author of Hebrews is writing to believers. He's writing to some people who were starting to turn away, abandon their faith, uh, throw away their faith. And he's going to call them out and try to persuade them, just not do that. All right? Hang on to that because it is more valuable than you might possibly know. And so today we're going to look into a few things that we can have as the result of this confidence that God brings. All right? And so initially here, confidence in God is going to tell us that we can draw near uh, to God. Confidence in God, it tells us that we can draw near to God. And so here we're going to use the example of confidence speaking. Okay? Confidence speaking. So if confidence were speaking, confidence is telling us that we get to draw near God. So let's think about it this way for a minute. You've probably seen television shows and you've probably been to maybe state fairs or churches where you've seen people on a stage trying to sing or play an instrument that were very nervous. Right? You get a good look at that here weekly. But you can tell people who are confident. Right? What are some of the qualities of a confident instrumentalist or a confident singer? What do you notice about them and you say, man, they're very, very confident. Okay, so they're very relaxed. They're loud, all right? So they sing with a lot of power or play with a lot of power. Yes. They smile a lot, so it seems like they're enjoying it. They're not real nervous. Okay, so they look at the audience. They make eye contact. So based on your four things, are we confident or do we lack confidence? <laughs> Don't answer that. <laughs> so... Confidence has easy tell signs, right? Just like a lack of confidence. So let's flip it. If somebody's on the stage singing or playing an instrument and they have a lack of confidence, then what are some of the tells there? What are some of the things that they display that you go, oh man, they're, they're not very confident? I think of maybe like a, like a quiver voice. Kind of, it's hard to control. So when you get nervous, your voice just kind of shakes. Or maybe... Maybe it's shaky legs, you know, when you're playing the piano or the organ. Or shaky fingers when you're playing some kind of instrument. Right? All that stuff, it's noticeable. Right? Just like a confidence is noticeable, a lack of confidence is noticeable as well. And so, we tend to have doubt 
where we lack confidence. That's kind of what's driving that. There tends to be fear sometimes connected with uh, a lack of confidence. I'll usually hesitate, right, when I lack confidence or I'm uncertain. So I'm a little bit timid and I may not be as willing to take a risk. And usually I'm cowardly or weak. So where there's a lack of confidence, there are signs of that. And where there's confidence, there are signs of that as well. Well, what we're talking about here are some of the signs of confidence. Uh, so if I doubt lack of confidence, if I doubt that God loves me, then I probably won't do anything to try to draw closer to him. If I doubt that God hears me when I pray, then I probably won't what? I probably won't pray. If I doubt that he cares about my life, then I probably won't seek his help. All right? So where I have some hesitation or where I lack confidence, then I'm not going to feel like God is interested. What about where I sin? Have you ever sinned and felt like you couldn't approach God? You did something, you said something, you thought something, and you're like, oh, man, like God heard that, he saw that. I can't even confess that. I'm just, I can't be near God right now. You know, it kind of reminds me of Isaiah or Peter. You know, Peter said, go away from me. Isaiah said, woe is me. Like when your sinfulness is kind of uh, put in the forefront of your mind, you feel like maybe I just can't approach God. Like he wouldn't want to be near me right now. I kind of got to get my life in order. See, sometimes I rely more on my sin than I do my Savior. And so I let my sin start speaking to me rather than the confidence of God. And so sin starts telling me some things just like we've talked about here, that God doesn't want me close. You know, I'm kind of like the prodigal son. I don't want to live in your house. I'll just be a servant out in the furthest quarters. I'm okay with it. You don't have to acknowledge me. You don't have to talk to me. You don't even have to know that I exist. Sometimes our sin tells us things like that, that God doesn't want us near. But that's not what confidence tells us. And so let's go back to our text here. Verse 22, we didn't read this, this is prior. But the author writes and says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And so what is the writer encouraging us here to do? He says, Draw near. Why draw near? Well, part of it is because we can. Right? You and I have the ability, even in our sin, to draw near of God. But the thing is, this is not about anything that we've done. If it is, if I can draw near to God based on what I do, that's called self-confidence. And I don't know about you, but I don't have self-confidence when I think about coming before a holy God. So we're not talking about muster it up. We're talking about where does my confidence come here? Well, confidence tells me that it comes through Christ and it allows me to access God. Now here's the thing. You are welcomed. Right? Have you ever been to somebody's house and you knock on the front door and there's a little doormat there and it says welcome? It's kind of like, oh that's kind of encouraging, right? Or somebody opens the door and smile at you and they say, hey, come on in. How's that make you feel? Hey, this is great. This is going good so far. That's the way God is in a relationship with us. The doormat's there, the door's open, and the Father's just waving you in. Come, you're welcome in here. Confidence says, I can go near God. Sin says, no, I'm too gross, I'm too sinned, or sinful. Uh, I've, I've 
committed too many sins to be in God's presence. I'll just take, you know, that back room out in the servants' quarters. Confidence says, draw near. You're also wanted. You're also wanted, and I'm wanted. And that's what this says, that we can draw near, all right? Those who have confidence, we can draw near to God. It says, I want you close to me. Isn't that, isn't that a good feeling? You ever sit by somebody and they kind of put their arm around you and pull you close? <laughs> Some of you are like, right, I wish you'd do that right now. Go ahead and just draw me in a little bit closer. That makes you feel like, oh, this person loves me. They care about me. Right? It's just, this is such a blessed relationship that I have. We're not just welcome, front door open, mat out. We're wanted. Come on. Come in here. I want to be close to you. And by the way, no one is twisting God's arm. Jesus is not sitting next to the Father saying, remember what you said. You told them they were welcome, so I know you can't stand them, but we've got to let them come to you. It's not that at all. You are desirable. I'm desirable. God wants us to be close to him. And so confidence says, draw near. That is his desire for you and I. So are there things we should throw away? Sure. What do we throw away? What do we call stuff we throw away? Trash. So let's trash some things here this morning. Let's trash the idea that says God doesn't want to be any part of your life. Because that's what sin's going to remind you of. That's what our own sinful nature is going to call out in us. You're not wanted. God doesn't welcome you. You're not desired. Think about what you've said this week. Think about your actions towards somebody. Why would a holy God ever want to be near you? He wouldn't. That's trash. And we need to throw it away. We throw away trash. We also need to throw away those thoughts that say, you know what, you've messed up too much to be close to God. You might feel like, man, I've sinned too much. I can't be of any use to God. I can't be a this or a that. Okay. But what can you be? Can God redeem that? Can God restore you? Absolutely. Can God use that story to influence other people's lives? Absolutely. And so rather than buying the lie that says, I've sinned too much to be near God, that's trash. You need to throw it away. But don't throw away your confidence in God. Don't throw away the confidence that says to you, I welcome you. I want you. You are to be near me. Just as you are. Confidence says, come close. Draw near. Because the way has been provided, and I've given that through my son Jesus. Confidence in God initially tells us we can draw near. Secondly here, confidence in God is going to allow us to live each day with hope. Would hope be one of the top five words that you would use to describe your attitude? If somebody said to you, describe your attitude to me in five, just five words, not phrases or sentences, five words, would one of them be hope? So I think for the Christian, one of the words that should be very close to the front of our mind, close to the edge of our lips, is the word hope. Love, faith, yeah, hope. Those things should be close. And how many times have we looked on at a situation as an onlooker? It's not something we're in, but we've looked at it and man, oh, that's, whew, what a terrible situation. That's hopeless. I was talking this morning, I know you've seen as well this duck boat that sunk over here in Missouri. 
And one family lady that lost nine of her family members. That's not our family. I mean, it is. She's a believer, but we don't know her personally. But looking at that, sometimes we can go, oh, what a, what a hopeless situation. I mean, spouse and children and other relatives, just like hopeless. Sometimes that's how we as Christians, I as a follower of Jesus, look at, look at other people's situations. Sometimes that's how I look at my own situations. How, how many times have you been in a situation and assumed that that situation will never change? This is just the way it is and I've resolved that it's, it's always going to be this way. My unbelieving spouse is always going to be an unbelieving spouse. My children far from God are always going to be far from God. My neighbor is never going to want to hear the gospel. My co-worker is going to continually push me away. God's never going to open opportunities for me to be a witness for him. So many times we look at our situations and say they're never going to change. That's just the lens of despair. And that's not how hope works. So where there is hope, there is this God ability to look at a situation with expectation. To look at a situation as though it can change. That's how I pray before we come in here. God, don't let us walk out the way we walked in. Change us. Do a work here. And so we come expecting because we can. And so let's look at why we can. Let's go to verse 23, Hebrews 10. Initially here it says, let us hold unswervingly. What's that mean? What's a hold unswervingly look like? All right. Is it something that can be easily taken from you? If I walked up to you and pulled out that ink pen, a lot of you I could probably just pull that ink pen right out of your hands. You know why? Because you're not holding on to it like it's your life. You're like, I don't care, I'll get another one. Pastor must need it more than I do. To hold to something unswervingly means I've got a grip so tight on it that you, you can't get it out of my hands. It's my life. And so the author says, let us grasp, let us hold unswervingly to what? To hope. To the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Listen, why do I look at any situation with hope? Why is it that we could talk to this woman who has lost seemingly everything that this world offers that's good? Why could we talk to her with hope? Why is it that Paul wrote and said, listen, we don't grieve like people who have no hope. Right? When somebody close to us dies, we don't grieve as the hopeless. We know there's life beyond the grave. We know it's not you're dead, you're done. The reason that we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess is because God is faithful. And his faithfulness is great, just like we've sung about here this morning. And so hope is fueled by the faithfulness of God. Now this past week, you may have seen this video. There's a, the head football coach of Clemson University, Debo Swinney. They're doing a, this past week they had like the ACC had a preview of their conference, their football, up, upcoming football season. So all these ACC coaches gathered together for this conference and they're talking about expectations for the year, what kind of teams they have, and lots of reporters, lots of analysts, 
bloggers, people there just asking them all sorts of questions. And so one of the questions that Dabo was asked was, how does your faith in Christ like, play into how you coach? You guys seen that? And so he starts smiling. And he says, you know, I, I wasn't expecting that question here today. I was expecting to talk, you know, about our quarterbacks and running backs and expectations of our team. I just wasn't expecting that question here today. And so he goes on to answer the question. He talks about how at the age of 16 is where he began to understand what a relationship with Christ was like. It wasn't about going to church. It wasn't about carrying a Bible or praying every day or dressing a certain way or watching what you say. It was about this relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that started to take life for him. And so he just kind of went down the line of how that had been his source of confidence throughout his life. That's what he uh, attributed his, uh, not necessarily his success, but his confidence or his worth to. But he made a statement in that conversation. I wanted to share that with you here today as it relates to faithfulness and hope. Here's what he said. He said, hope in the future brings power to the present. Hope in the future brings power to the present. Do you believe that to be true? You know, the verse of that song, what's it say? And then one day I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. Right? That sounds pretty rough. But then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he lives, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The power in what is, or the, the, the reality of what is future, my hope gives power to the present. It strengthens me. It's a, like a sustenance for my soul, for my mind. It's the nutrition, spiritually speaking, that fuels and that builds us. See, hope in the future does bring power to the present. And part of the hope that eternal life, eternity brings, is that I have hope today. So any situation I might endure, hope doesn't mean that it's not hard. Hope doesn't mean we laugh our way through tragedy. It doesn't mean that we always smile. It doesn't mean that we're happy. It means that I'm established. It means that there is an anchor that has protected and secured and is holding fast and firm my soul. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 6. We have this hope as what? It's an anchor for our soul. It's firm and it is secure. So my hope of things yet to come by the way, hope is confident assurance. If you don't believe me, just flip your Bible to the next chapter. You've got faith and you've got hope and you've got confidence and you've got assurance of things you've never seen. But you will see. So we have God confidence today in what is yet to come and what that produces is hope. Hope for today. Hope for tomorrow. And so yeah, there's some things we need to throw away. But hope is not one of them. So instead of looking at a situation as hopeless, let's look at it through the confidence of God, which tells us I can have hope in this situation because my God who has given me promises is faithful. 
He who started will what? He'll finish it. Do you believe that? Why? Because he's faithful. Why do you believe that you'll see the lights of glory? Because he's faithful. Do you believe he'll ever leave you? Do you believe he'll ever forsake you? Do you believe there's anything that can separate you from his love? you believe that he's always with you? you believe that his spirit is working in you? Why do you believe anything? We believe it because the God who promised is he's faithful. And the certainty of things to come gives me hope in my situation today. As difficult as it may be, the world can bring on its worst, do its best, but it cannot touch my confidence which is rooted in my hope in Christ. And that hope gives me not only hope for things yet to come, but it gives me hope for what I'm currently going through. So throw away those hopeless ideas that says your situation is not going to change. Throw away those hopeless thoughts. That unbelieving spouse is not going to come to faith. Those children far from God are not going to return. Throw away the idea that says you are of no value. You have no use. You're beyond your years. You don't have any gifts. All of that is trash. And I would say what you do with trash is your, at your house is what we do with it at our house. We throw it out. It's not welcome. Right? It's not going to govern our life. Throw away the trash, but don't throw away your confidence. Throw away those thoughts that say there's no hope for this world. And we live in a culture, church, that has done a very good job of dividing us. And we buy the lie day after day. We buy it every 30 minutes until the next news anchor comes on. We buy it every 30 minutes until the next radio broadcast is played. We buy it in every post that somebody posts. That's right, I'm on this team and you're on that team. And I'm right and you're wrong. And because I believe this way spiritually, then there's no hope for you. Or because I believe this way politically, there's no hope for you. Or because I make this much money, there's no hope for you. Or because I have this color of skin and privilege and you don't, there's no hope for you. And we buy into it. And we're such a divided people. See, division would probably be one of the top five words that we would use. But as Christians, we've got to be people of hope. It doesn't matter what their beliefs are on abortion. It doesn't matter their orientation or what gender they think they are. We've got to work to value the soul of a person rather than set them aside and go, you're trash. Because the same Christ who was given as a gift to ransom me was given as a gift to ransom them. And just like my trash doesn't define me, that trash doesn't define them either. There's hope for them. Man, if there's hope for us, there's hope for anybody. We've got to be willing to step off that pedestal sometimes and look. I'm no, what's the saying? Um, were it not for the grace of God or something like that, but for the grace, there go I. If it weren't for the work of Christ in my life, 
I wouldn't even really want to consider the type of man that I would be. And so is there hope for this world? Absolutely. And that's what we've got to be holding out because time's short. Things matter. There are some things that just aren't a priority. I'm not saying they're unimportant. I'm not saying we condone it and act like it's not a big deal. But we don't treat people like trash who've been highly treasured by their creator. Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence because of the faithfulness of God. You and I have hope. And I should look at every situation, every conversation, every person, even those who hate me, who want to see me destroyed, I should look at them with hope. Not, I hope God gets revenge on you. Or I hope something bad happens to you. But I hope. I hope that you come to understand who God is. And what he has done on your behalf. Hope is an anchor for my soul. It gives us the confidence to live each day. And then third and last here. Confidence in God is going to be rewarded. As we persevere through conflict. And these rewards church are instant. We like rewards right? Sign up for this credit card and you'll get these rewards. You know, come listen to our 45-minute spiel about a timeshare and you'll get a reward. And we'll send you wherever you want to go for three nights. We like rewards. Win the game, get a trophy. We like the reward. We like the incentive. Nothing wrong with that. What the author here tells us is this. Where there's confidence in God... There then is this uh, endurance that begins to be built. This perseverance. And this perseverance has its rewards. One of the rewards is that there is peace in the midst of suffering. Would you trade peace for a million bucks? A lot of people would. Or they say they would. But if you've ever lacked peace... Getting to the point where you have peace is priceless. You couldn't pay me enough money in exchange for my peace. Have you ever had that restless soul? Those doubts that just keep stirring in your head? Keep telling you everything that you're not or everything that your God is not or how he's not going to come through or why you should not believe? Man, when those things are settled and secure, where well, there's a peace there, you can't purchase that from me. There's no way I would trade that for any amount of money. That is an instant reward of those who have confidence in God. There's a joy, even in the midst of conflict. When people are oppressive to you, or people are against you, or people really don't want to associate with you or me, there can be a joy that's present. Maybe not a happiness. Right? This isn't a promise that it's going to be pleasant. There's a promise, though, that there is joy in the midst of it. And we read about this. Well, let's just set it up. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you a question, and you'll probably have something instantly pop into your mind. I don't want it to be your faith. God, don't get too spiritual on me. Um, not your family, just like a possession. What is your most valuable possession? Just a thing you love. Maybe it doesn't define you, but you just absolutely, you just love it. It's so much fun. You enjoy it. And you're just thankful for it. What is it? You don't have to tell me, 
But you've probably got that in your mind. Now, let's say that when we dismiss here in just a few minutes and you go home, there are people who've walked into your house and they're walking out of your house or out of your garage and they are confiscating your most prized possession. Go. What's it look like? A lot of you are smiling right now. I don't think we'd be smiling then. I think there's probably some words we'd have. There's probably some thoughts that are starting to come. Maybe there's some prayers hopefully being said as well. God, you've got to quiet that in me because that's ugly. And if that comes out, that's going to just make matters worse. Or maybe we just hop the fence of prayer and we already get to worse. We just vomit the mouth. And we just unload on people. And I'm going to call the police and you can't take my stuff. And if I have to, I'll take you to court because it's mine and you can't have it. Would those people walk away going, man, those are some joyful Christians. What do they have that I don't? I need a good, healthy dose of that. No, but that's exactly what happened to these people that we just read about. Some of them suffered in prison. Go back to verses 32, 33, 34. Some of them weren't in prison, but their family members or friends were. They suffered alongside. And some of you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you had better and lasting rewards. And so they went home and they like, okay, go ahead and take it. I know you say I can't have it because I'm a Christian. That's okay. You can't take what's stored up for me. That's how joy speaks. And I don't know if that's how Corey would speak, but that's what joy is to look like, fleshed out. And that's one of the immediate workings of confidence in God. Confidence in God will be rewarded as we persevere through conflict. So we're going to persevere, and here he's going to say it, don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but, my, and but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Remember the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of, group of people who were shrinking back. They had turned away. They weren't persevering in their faith. And he's writing and saying, listen, that's not who we are. Did Jesus turn back? Did he stop short? No, he went the full way. He was able to say it's finished. And that's why Paul was able to say, I have finished. And that's the goal for you and I in part of our personal responsibility. When we step from the door or through the doorway of death, when I have finished that I have persevered. And I have done so as somebody who didn't shrink back. Maybe I've not been perfect, but every day I've been striving for your glory and honor. Maybe I haven't fully exhausted everything, but I, that's been my goal. Use my mind, my mouth, my gifts, my resources, everything about me. Use it. Consume it for your glory to make your name known throughout the world. And that's all that matters. You might remember Paul talking to the uh, to one of the groups of people there in Acts. I can't recall the chapter right now, but what he said to them was, I consider my life worth nothing as long as I fulfill my calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. 
Life or death doesn't matter. Life to me is to do the very thing that God has asked me to do is what he has said. And so he was going to endure. He was going to fight. He was going to press on to the end. And according to his own testimony, that's what he has done. And so here we're to be people who endure. People that do not shrink back. That do not avoid conflict. Or that just quiver or cower under oppression or persecution. So again, there are things that we need to throw away. And when you hear those voices that start telling you, just quit. That's trash. We read it this morning out of Galatians chapter 6. Do not grow weary in what? In doing good. You ever get weary? You ever feel like somebody could do this a whole lot better than I'm doing it? That's one of my battles. Surely, God, you've got somebody else or something else in store because somebody else has got to be able to, to do what I'm doing a whole lot better. Produce things much different than, than what I feel like I'm trying to do. But that's self-confidence. That's throwing away my confidence. Sometimes we want to buy into that thing that says quit. Sometimes there's that thought that says, you know, it's really not worth it. It's not worth it to live a life for Christ. Think about everything you're missing out on. Think about all the people who are prejudging you because you call yourself a Christian. And anytime that comes up, it's like an automatic shutdown. Maybe the people who've no longer invited you to birthday parties or they don't want you around when the parties are about to begin. See, that's a thought of trash that says it's not worth it. Confidence in God tells us to persevere. There's rewards now and there will be rewards then. And so we press on. So for somebody that has confidence in God, here's some things that it looks like. And this isn't exhaustive. But the writer here is trying to help us just stay the course. Keep fighting. Be intentional. Be aggressive. Be willing to take that godly risk. God's pride in your heart. Take the step. Lots of things have value that we throw away. But the author here says don't throw away your confidence. It's your confidence that secures some things for you and I. It's what allows us to draw near. It's what gives us hope to face any situation. And then here it's what ultimately rewards us now and then as we, as we press on. And all this, you know, begins with Christ. Faith in Christ is where it starts. Right? That's where hope is rooted. That's where perseverance is rooted. So I wonder today... It, does confidence in God, does that phrase describe you? Or maybe you would say, man, I lack some confidence. Well, again, like I said, it all starts with faith in Christ. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Repenting of your sins, asking Him to be the Lord of your life, save me. Have you devoted yourself to Him to, to want to live for His honor? And maybe if not, today would be your day to do so. Or maybe you'd say, yeah, I, I know that I'm part of the family of God, but I don't feel like I can draw near. I've got too much baggage. Or I, don't, I just don't really think he wants me around. 
or I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get better. I'm never going to overcome this attitude or this mouth. I'm never going to have, have a person who has great hope. Maybe today is God, help me trash these things that you're not saying over me. And help me hang on to the confidence that's rooted in, in your son. You know, God desires to be close. He desires to give you hope. He desires to strengthen you and I so we can persevere. So I want to encourage you today, right? Don't throw it away. Confidence in God is of immeasurable worth.